Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Ladies and gentlemen, part three of this series rounds out with a conversation with Vanessa Hurst, who has provided a lot of this information to me here that we've gone over in the last two parts. And again, she's a part of a school-based decision-making committee on a volunteer basis within her child's middle school. And it jumps right in, so go ahead and give this a listen. I do have, I have three kids. I know in my email I said two of them we're pulling out and putting in private school next year. The oldest is remaining in public school and high school. Um, we feel like he has a pretty good solid foundation to go ahead and, and move up and move on, and, and he'll be fine through high school. Um, it's the other two who are starting to, re- we can, you can really see where they're lacking in their education and nothing to do with the teachers, but the policies that have been put in place this year or the the new um, plan that the district is rolling out, (laughs) I guess. Right. So um, also there's a few things like we, I know that you had kind of touched on what uh, SBDM does. SBDM is school-based decision-making or site-based decision-making council. There we go. Yeah. I lost the, I forgot the, uh, (laughs) the acronym, (laughs) the definition there. Yeah. So yeah, that is, um, so we review and approve budgets for our school. Um, money is allocated from the district and then we do with that, we'll, you know, like staffing allocations and, um, you know, what, like, like we'll have title one money and we decide what goes, what that, what is done with that title one money. We do, um, school schedule, school wide schedules. Um, never have we, we have never in the past approved individual classroom schedules, just school-wide schedules, doll schedule, things like that. Um, I, I, I got to stop you there too, because that seems so odd to me, um, simply because that's usually something that a counselor does. The counsel, <laughs> the counselors are normally the ones that handle that kind of a thing. And I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, again, no, it's clearly no offense to you or the committee per se, but it seems like the district's policy here is to continuously outsource the decision-making to countless people so that mm-hmm. if something caves in, it's not their fault. Yes, it, it certainly appears that way. Um, and then we also create school policy. So, you know, in a public school, usually, you know, I'm libertarian, so the less laws there are, and, or the less, the less government interference there is, the better. But when it comes to a school and public setting, the more policies you have, the better off you are. Um, so, you know, we, we go over school policy every year, how we're supposed to, and, um, and everything from, I actually have it right here, a list of the policies that are to be adopted by local school board to be implemented by school-based decision-making council. Now, this is a Kentucky statute or law. Um, school budget and administration, including uh, discretionary funds, activity, and other school funds uh, for maintenance, supplies, equipment, etc. Um, assessment of individual student progress, including testing and reporting of student progress to students, parents, school district, and the community and state. School improvement plans, including the form and function of strategic planning and its relationship to district planning, as well as school safety plans requested for funding from the Center for School Safety under KRS uh, 158446, professional development plans developed pursuant to KRS 156095, parent, citizen, and community participation, including the relationship of the council with others, cooperation and collaboration with the district 
with other districts and with other public and private agencies. Requ requirements for um, requirements for waiver of district policies, requirements for record keeping by school council, and process for appealing a decision made by the school council. So we're supposed to have policies on all these different things, um, and and the the site based council actually sets up those policies. They also um, you know, we'll let's see what else we approve um, classroom assignment. So you know, like we we're a K through eight school. Um, I have three children, you know, K through eight. So I have kids in the elementary and a child in middle school, and we'll decide. You know, being that we're a small K through eight school, we have a unique um, challenge each year to try and figure out where kids go. A lot of times we end up with a split classroom, you know, like a three, four split. We've had a K one split. Those are, you know, pretty common in our size school. Um, so we, we decide what, you know, where those allocations go. Um, so that, that's kind of what a site based council does. Just less and less so as time goes on. We, we have less, you know, room for debate and less room for um, actually deciding on things. So. <laughs> Describe again the K-1 split. What does that mean? Okay, so a K-1 split would be a classroom with kindergarten and first grade. Oh, with wow. With one teacher. Yeah. We don't have enough money to our school to provide enough teachers or classroom space sometimes. Um, so we'll have a teacher that'll have to teach two grades. Gotcha. Okay. So we've had we've had kindergarten first, we've had second, third, and I think we've had third three third and fourth grade together at different times. It just depends on the year, what teachers we have available, what teachers are willing to do the the, the split grades. Um, so you know a lot of that is what we do. Another thing you had asked about, um, there is in our quote ecosystem or quote unquote ecosystem we have um, something called mustang matters it, and it's you've also mentioned care and connect these are the same thing it's just um, named differently based on our school mascot and what our school um, has decided to call the care and connect and it's the concept is that uh, first thing in the morning students will meet with a teacher that is not their regular teacher um, and they will you know, talk about different things. They'll do different activities. Um, in the beginning, you know, it kind of started out, you know, they would talk about friendship or, you know, they have different, they'll sometimes they'll watch the uh, school newscast together and it's just the same group of kids. They're all different grade levels, close to their grade level. But, you know, like, for example, my, you know, my middle school son has kids that are sixth, seventh and eighth grade in his Mustang Matters group. And, my first grader has kids that are in kindergarten, first and second grade in his Mustang Matters group. Um, and, you know, and same with my fifth grader, you know, there's fourth, third, fourth and fifth in his group. Um, and they, they all, and each is led by a teacher or um, school employee, not necessarily, ha doesn't necessarily have to be a certified teacher. Some, you know, there are uh, instructional assistants that lead Mustang Matters groups. There's, um, there's even, you know, like the, the uh, secretary has a Mustang Matters group, so each you know each employee is you know to the idea is to create a, a sense of community, I guess. So there's so that's a little clarification on that. Um, 
There's you had that, mentioned lit. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say there's that word community again. <laughs> yeah. I, I just think it's interesting that they're that they're mixing all of these students together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't seem like it's for anything other than to try to make it look like, you know, we're all in the same boat together and, you mm-hmm. know, just sort of this uh, commune mentality, as, I, as I've said. <laughs> well, and, and then to kind of segue off that, there's actually um, in the high school, the newer high school, we have two high schools in our county. The newer high school is Tom and Nils- Thomas Nelson County, or sorry, Thomas Nelson High School. And they were the first ones to start house structures within the school. So you have four different houses. If you could to kind of give a good comparison, I guess Harry Potter, if you think Harry Potter, you know how they had the houses, they had Slytherin and Ravenclaw and um, Gryffindor and Hufflepuff. So it's kind of like that. You categorize students in a house structure and they come in before they're even a freshman. The house that they're going to be in is decided on. Um, and I don't know if it's like a random selection exactly, or if they, some, some aspect of their, their, uh, academics and personality plays into it, I'm sure. But, um, so they started the house structure at this school and now they're, they've been implementing it for the past two, three years, um, at the elementary and middle school level at at least at our school i'm not sure what they're doing at the other schools within the county district um so within this house structure you have like they had to restructure it so that whole families could be um, in a specific house so for example we are you know our family's in i forget what house we're in i think it's it's called sherwood house um and so your Mustang Matters leader is also in that house. Um, so like my son recently went to their orientation for high school and he was told, you know, they were told what house they're going to be in for high school, which is different than the elementary level, uh, different name. And so it'll carry on into the rest of our family. So if my younger two end up going to Thomas Nelson High School, they will also be fall into that same house. And so you do everything in this house, like so your your grade, you know, so in, at the high school level, it's freshman through um, senior, all mixed in this house. Um, and you have certain house leaders, which are teachers. They're you know they belong to that house and they're the leader of that house. It, it's very much like it kind of. The best comparison I can think of is Harry Potter. Is what it reminds me of. Um, it seems like a lot of tribal nonsense. <laughs> it I'm, can, yes. I and, mean, I you know when I taught middle school, you know, they, it, I mean, unfortunately, you know, it's in Florida, and they categorize everybody in a very similar way, and they use fish names. So every single, you know, uh, there there would be whatever three or four fish name groups within one grade level. Yeah. And then the different students would make fun of each other for being in a particular group. And then they would almost treat the group like a gang. And then they would basically uh, pin one another, you know, pin each other against one another because of those different names. Has, has that been something that's happened thus far? I don't know about that because there's, you know, there's, a, there's really, I guess, tight control over the image of the houses and, and how that plays out. Now, I know there is 
they do have pride games. They call it pride games and there's pride rallies. And at the pride rallies, they, you know, you stick with your house and, you know, there's, I'm sure there's bantering back and forth. I haven't been at the high school level yet. And from what I hear, it's not, it doesn't turn into a gang mentality, but it is supposed to create more of a family atmosphere and make kids more comfortable, I guess. Um, And also maybe, um, build relationships with, you know, other students that they normally wouldn't have, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. Or if, if I mean, just to explain it a little bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of where the Mustang matters, the care and connect, and then the house structure, all that kind of falls under the same um, uh, kind of umbrella there. Yeah. it's evi- then, I mean, it's evident that they're not, spending a whole lot of time on reading, writing, and arithmetic. It's, I mean, the effort seems to be going into these groups, these clubs, these names. The image. There you go. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And that's, you know, the whole image thing, that's another thing that this um, district has. And and you really hit the nail on the head when you said that it, it's selling these children. You're selling something. Um, because there's communication from leadership in this district is coming through YouTube videos. Um, especially when we, when it first started um, this, or when the school year first started, we had a lot of back and forth with in-person virtual, you know, and every time that there was a change to be made, a video was put out. We weren't given an email with clear information. It was a video with all that, you know, the, the background music and, you know, the, um, drone footage of you know the community or some area in the community or whatever um and then it always comes back to you know connecting people place and purpose power of place you know all that stuff (laughs) wow so it's very it's very strange i i call it the school infomercials that's what they are yeah I, yeah, they are they are bad. There's <laughs> there's no doubt about that. Um, and again, they, they're just so scripted and so nonsensical mm-hmm. that it makes oh. it makes you wonder if you're even watching a school employee talk about a school. It really and and the thing it's almost really, like they're ta- it's almost like they're talking about a restaurant. Uh huh. Almost. Um, what really gets me irritated about the whole thing is it's so confusing to the average person. If you're not really, really paying attention, you don't know what's going on. And it's by design. I'm sure, you know, if you weren't even, I have to admit, I have to publicly say, I am so sorry to all the teachers who had called me and warned me last spring is almost an entire year ago that this was coming and this was happening. I didn't believe, I thought they were just being dramatic when all things started to go south with our principal being forced to resign and step down. And I didn't listen at first. I was just as confused as any normal parent out there until I started doing the deep dives into what this stuff is. And that's when I started. And of course it was already too late by this point. You know, I had already, you know, drank some of the Kool-Aid and gotten on the bandwagon and, and, and helped get this principal hired. Um, and now that I've, seen now that the curtain's been pulled back and I see what's going on here. It's, 
Absolutely. It's crazy. And, but you don't, it, it's by design that it's confusing. It's by design that it leaves you wondering, well, maybe I'm just not smart enough to understand what they're doing here. It does make you feel that way as a normal average parent makes you feel like you just, you, I'm, these are educators. They know what they're doing. Well, yeah, they do know what they're doing, but it's not what you think. It's not education. Let, let, let me see here. Do me a favor and run through a, a basic school day with with one of your children in that school, starting from either the moment that they show up uh, and and what what the processes are, right right to the end of the day. It, you know, sort of as quickly as you can, I guess. Okay, so a basic so drop them off in the morning. They will go directly to a classroom where their Mustang Matters group is meeting. Are they, they in that, are they wearing uh, masks? Are they socially oh, yes, distanced? Yes, as okay. soon as they. Well, <laughs> I drop my kids off at the school. They get their temperature checked while they're still sitting in the car through the window. Good God. They, yeah, before they get out of the car, their mask has to be on before they enter the building. A lot of times they'll even have a teacher there with a pump of hand sanitizer before they enter the building. Um, and then they'll, they'll go in, they'll go directly to their Mustang Matters group. Um, and they stay there for about, I think it's an hour, and then they go to their classroom. In their classroom, they're supposed. This is the part where they're supposed to be doing their literacy experiences, which this district is all about making kids love reading, not necessarily teaching them how to read. And, and that is actually something to to that effect has actually been said by leaders within this district. Um, <laughs> so they'll they'll do their literacy experiences for a while. They have specials. Specials are things like music, art, and PE. And then after specials, they'll have, you know, maybe some more core experiences, which would be your math, your um, maybe science. And then after that, or, and I'm talking about this is on the elementary level. After that, you have lunch. After lunch, you go back to core experiences, recess, and then gift projects for the last two hours of the day. Gift projects and passion courses. Gift projects are... Um, so, for example, my son's working on restaurants. They're studying restaurants and ordering food and what all goes into making a business at a restaurant. They're, you know, doing concept drawings and dioramas of a restaurant and what kind of, and making menu, mock menus and pricing and things like that. And they have to figure out overhead costs versus how much money they're making and things like that. That's their gift project in fifth grade. I don't know exactly what my oldest son is working on he doesn't he's eighth grade he doesn't really talk a whole lot about what's going on in school I do know that they are also doing passion courses and this is something that a teacher is passionate about and they want to teach to students so there's one teacher that likes to sew so she's teaching a sewing class there's another teacher that likes carpentry so he's teaching carpentry and that's kind of like their electives we don't really have the funding to have specific elective teachers um, so that's always been an issue for us in the middle school. We also don't have like the funding to do languages like Spanish or French. And our art teacher is also our math teacher. So, <laughs> you know, we have a lot of juggling to do with the K through eight structure and it, it can get kind of hairy, especially and the, our middle school suffers for it. But there's not a lot we can do about it at the moment unless they build us a whole new school, which they won't they won't do. <laughs> But anyway, so that's kind of a run through of their day when they're in person. 
Um, have, have you have you witnessed the coming and going of school buses and how that operates? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the school buses, of course. My kids do ride a bus coming home. They have to have a mask on while they're on the bus, um, and they they you know get off the bus and their you know little mask is on. They'll take it off immediately. Buses get to the school. I've seen they get to the school. They park in their specific bus unloading locations kids sit on the bus until a teacher comes to um walk them across the 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 road i guess there's our our gym our parking lots they're all separated from the main part of the school by parking lots and roads like actual residential roads so we need a lot of you know staff to help um, usher kids into the building and safely but yeah, the buses will park in the upper parking lot, walk the kids across the road. Um, the teacher walks the kids across the road as the buses unload. And then after all the buses are unloaded, then we'll start the kids that are dropped off, like my children, will you know go through the drop-off line, get their temperatures checked. As the kids are getting off the bus, they're getting their, ch- their temperature checked at the door, have to have a mask on. Of course, they're already masked because they've been on the bus. Um, and then... Again, my son, my middle school son goes into the gym with the middle schoolers. He gets his temperature checked in the car and then gets it checked again often right there at the gym before he goes into the gym. So he's, you know, that kind of irritates him that he gets it checked twice. But Yeah, or checked at all. <laughs> yeah. That's absolutely exactly. Nice. Uh, do, do they wear masks during physical education? I, I believe they do, yes, unless they're outside. Okay. Um, what what do what perceptions have you gained from other parents about what's going on here? Um, a lot of parents don't like it, but they're either afraid to speak out. They don't want retaliation on their children, or they're afraid of retaliation against their children. Um, that's a big thing. Some are don't want to rock the boat. Others are completely buying into this. It's just all over the place. But nobody has really stepped up to um, speak out other than myself. Yeah, that was going that was leading me to my next question. I loved what you said at that board meeting. Um, and I read it in, a, in the previous episode, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I just loved it. How many how many parents were in the room when you when you said that, and how many Just, how many of them do you think agreed with what you were saying? Non school employee parents in the building or in the room when I said that. The only one was my husband. Wow. Yeah, we had to, and and of course these things are always strategically designed so that. You know, you have the least amount of participation from, quote, stakeholders. Um, I had to sit through, well, me, my husband and I sat through a two-hour board meeting to wait for my time to speak, that they have their public comments at the end of the board meeting, the very end. Yeah. So, not many people are going to stick it out. <laughs> I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. I don't know. Well, but, well, I'll tell you what you're doing. You're certainly doing the right thing. In fact, you know, to to mention a a, a potential positive here, and of course, it would take it, you know, it's going to take people in your district to actually stand up against this. But 
in looking up the voting demographics in your county, you're a red you're a red county to say the least, which is great. Right. Right. Um, I also noticed that four board members were voted in this past election, mm-hmm. and three of them ran unopposed. Yes. And then one of them only won by like 50 votes. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that all a person would have to do to be a board member and replace the existing board members and then create the domino effect that gets rid of this entire thing, uh, including the superintendent and getting rid of him, is to run for school board against these people and use this program as the reason to run against them. And then, I mean, I know that this all sounds easy coming out of my mouth, but, uh, you know, simply using that as the platform to beat them. And I, I'm almost certain that anybody could. Mm-hmm. Because, again, if they're running unopposed, they think that they are there and they'll never they'll never lose that position. Right. Um, it, it just seems like a district that's easily tippable in the right direction. If enough, you know, if there's just enough parents out there that that get involved. Uh, and then you, you know, best case scenario, everybody wins, the board members lose you on their, on your first day, you, uh, you move on in and you fire the superintendent or you, or you shorten the length of his contract and you buy him out and then he's gone. And then you can just go back to actually teaching and learning. And I think the, the relief that, that, uh, that the teachers themselves would have. I mean, I can't imagine a teacher actually voting for a board member who supports these kinds of, you know, this kind of program. Um, I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure there are teachers that love what's going on. Mm-hmm. But there have to be teachers that just hate it. Oh, there are. And, and there's, I'd say it's pretty well a split, 50-50, when it comes to that. Because, and I say that because... This whole thing, there, there definitely was a five-year plan, and we're probably three years into it, into its implementation. And getting the right people in the right places was absolutely the first thing that started happening. And I say right people in the right places, and, and that's not, you know, the right people to implement this particular plan, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, and, and that included getting rid of all the directors at central office within the first week of our superintendent being hired. I'll tell you what too, and again, I uh, you, you know that I brought this up to you uh, over text message, but I found the symbolism of the curriculum to be very interesting, to say the least. Right. And for those that are, are listening to this for the first time, it's... It's a drawing of a of a of a three tiered flame, and then somebody again looking at it, a novice, I suppose. And I could have it wrong. I could just be looking too deeply into it. But it seems a little obvious to me. And even you said, "Yeah, that's not right." Uh, it uh, it's a three tiered flame, and somebody looking at it would say, "Well, it's just a flame. What's the big deal?" And then you look at what the Arabic calligraphy for Allah is, and it's the same flame by and large. It's just reversed. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, I wrote a book, Purposeful Deception, a while back, and I and I brought that up that the Obama administration implanted the Muslim Brotherhood into the Department of Education, not just at the national level, but at state levels as well. And that that all just filters its way down. You know, I'm I'm not saying that that's the case here, but uh, it's it's too coincidental for me. And it's and again, you and I have gone back and forth on what are the actual origins of this curriculum? Yeah. Who created it? Where did it come from? Because again, I find it very hard to believe that that your superintendent created this on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I still think that would be an interesting dig to make, but it's it's hard to know how how deep down that rabbit hole it actually goes. I don't know whether or not they just picked a symbol and had no idea what they were doing or if there was actually purpose to it. I don't know. But um, I can say that, you know, if, like I said before, if you're not digging deep into these things and into what's going on, and this is to parents out there and even teachers who, you know, are frustrated and, and know that something's not right. If you're not really starting to dig into these, the things that they're saying and doing and implementing, you are just going to be, you're, conti- you're going to continue to be confused. And that's how they want it. They want you to be confused because if you know what's going on, if you know what this really is and, and the purpose of it, um, <laughs> you have no choice but to stand up and say something. Yeah. It becomes, it becomes scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. S- speaking of scary. Uh, do me a favor and describe what you were talking about regarding the relationship that your principal has with one of the troublemaker students in the building. Okay, so... um, Deep sigh. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So there is a troublemaker, I I guess to call him a troubled student, um, who has gotten in trouble multiple times. And sent to the the county's or the district's alternative school. Um, now, this is hearsay. This is what I'm hearing from other people. I don't know this firsthand. Uh, but he was kicked out, expelled from the alternative school, and brought back into our school. And the um, this student is allowed to pretty much have free reign, do what he wants. He's He hangs out in the Family Resource Center helps out around the office. He, you know, invited into the office. Now, again, hearsay, invited into the office, given candy, soft drinks. Um, and they'll, he's often like given a set of keys to go open a door for somebody or whatever. But this, and, and we're not, we're talking about a kid that, you know, behavior issues enough to be sent to an alternative school. You know, that, that comes with fighting, that comes with being, you know, disruptive in class, that comes with, you know, skipping class, that comes with, you know, skipping school. All those behaviors that we tell our kids not to do, and he's been doing, and got sent away from the alternative school, um, and now we're rewarding that. Um, I guess that's part of their restorative practices. But then how is it restorative, um, this restorative discipline practices how is it restorative to collectively punish an entire middle school for a fight you know (laughs) which has recently happened it's um it's very disproportional it just seems like it seems to me and again 
hearsay. I, I've seen some things just in the drop-off line of this particular student between st- student and, you know, um, administrator interactions. But it seems to me that, you know, they like a project student. We're going to be the one to save this kid, you know, and, and maybe you can save him, but not by rewarding the behavior that you're telling other kids they can't do. Yep. It's clearly setting a bad example. Oh, yes. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, since you were talking about the, well, not to mention, you know, as you said, he's, it doesn't sound like he's actually in any classroom. He's just sort of being babysat all day long. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not there. Sure. But it, it certainly appears that way. And you can talk to any student and they'll tell you, yes, that, you know, it's not right. This is what's going on. I don't understand it. Yeah, when it when it comes to the to the investigation of particular programs, and I don't know if we've talked about this before, and if we have, stop me. But um, you, you mentioned restorative practices. A lot of people don't even dive into what that means in the origins of restorative practices. So again, for people listening to this for the first time, there are unfortunately a lot of K twelve schools that have what they refer to as restorative practices. And restorative practices actually started from an Australian judge. And what he did was, is he, he, he kind of created this, and I don't know if it's a program or a vocabulary or whatever it was, but it was, it was a way to reintroduce hardened felons who are, who are basically about to leave jail and be on parole and then reenter society how to get them to readapt to a civil society. Um, it's not uncommon for, the, for, in particular, the American K-12 education system to be at the butt end of a program so that by the time this program is developed in a completely separate avenue, and in this particular case as well, a completely separate country. By the time it reaches America and American schools, it's been watered down so much and stepped on so much that it takes on a a different meaning. And they believe that it will work with students when in fact it doesn't. In fact, it doesn't even work with hardened felons in many cases. Um, So the restorative practices piece has a lot to do with using quote-unquote common language, uh, you know, having the person ex- uh, accept responsibility for their own actions and then having them run through this, whatever it is, a six- or seven-step vocabulary where basically they admit wrongdoing and they say they won't do it again and blah, 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 and it never works out. It just never, ever works out, and it doesn't matter how hard the student is or how tough they are. Uh, it doesn't work out. And then they push all of this vernacular and these programs on their teachers. And what it really is, is it's a uh, it's a poor attempt to discipline a student without disciplining them so that it looks like the school isn't disciplining anybody. Because the more discipline that a school engages in with their students, the worse the school thinks that makes them look. Yeah. So that's, that, yeah, that's the fraud of restorative practices. It, um, it's a, uh, it's like behavioral money laundering. Um, it, you're you're just you're 
you're not really fixing any problem. You're just making it look like you're fixing a problem. And that, that, that's exactly what's happening. Is there ever a moment in the school year, whether it's at the beginning, middle, end, whatever it is, usually it comes at the beginning if it's going to happen at all, but is there ever a moment where the principal of this school building stands up in front of parents face-to-face, not over a screen, but face-to-face and tells them what's going on in the building, and then the parents have an opportunity to communicate back face-to-face with the, with the administration? No. Never. Not. I mean, no. That has not happened. It certainly seems... I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, of course, you know, you have COVID and all that nonsense, but... To my knowledge, we, in this, you know, since we've been in this particular school, we have not had that face-to-face. The reason, part of the reason I got involved with site-based was so that I would know what's going on on a very close level. Because, you know, my kids, they're they're kids. They don't talk very much. I have one child that will tell me everything. The other two are like, how's your day? Fine. You know, that kind of thing. Um, So I got involved to be involved, to know um, what's happening. Um. And then, you know, of course, the second reason was I, I wanted to be able to, to help, to, to make a difference. But to my knowledge, since I've been at this school, no, we have not had a face-to-face town hall style meeting at all with anybody, any, any administrator or principal. No. There were, I take that back, when back a couple years, or almost, almost 10 years ago, there was talk about merging two of the schools, um, both K through eight structure, merging them, making one an elementary and one a middle school. Um, and a lot of parents got upset about that and got involved in that. And that was when they started. They, they had a few town hall style meetings with the superintendent um, at each of the schools. And that that whole concept of merging those schools went away. It just it was so unpopular. But since then, no, there has not been a time where any leader has reached out to to go over what's happening and what you know what what parents can expect or get their opinion. Yeah, I was I was curious about that because it certainly doesn't seem like this is the kind of district that would be doing that. Number one, and number two, again, as you mentioned, the COVID nonsense has kicked things into a particular gear. And I think it's clearly on purpose to make to make to create a further divide between those in quote unquote authority and and parents, mm-hmm. and then uh, that lack of communication just allows those in a in an authority position to be more authoritarian than than maybe they would otherwise if they had, uh, you know, more parental contact and, and there was more parental say. Right. I, I agree. Just describe a little too here, cause we can end on a, on a positive note, I think to some extent, but you, you, you mentioned that you're sending a couple of your student or a couple of your children now to, uh, or you're going to, to private school. Mm-hmm. What homework have you done on this private school, and, and what differences do you see between that school and the one that they're currently in? Um, the private school has been in the community for, oh gosh, since the 30s. Um, it's actually, it's, it's a Catholic school, 
um, my father-in-law attended that school when he was a child. Um, they are about academic excellence. They, their mission or their mission statement is every child is a gift from God. And they really integrate, um, into academic rigor. Also, you know, Christian values, which of course I'm all, you know, I'm, I'm all for that. And it, you know, it's not necessary. That's not the main reason I'm doing this. It's definitely a bonus. I, I love that, you know, they, they're, they're going to have that extra bit of, you know, our, you know, same Christian values and beliefs instilled in their education. But, um, the academic rigor and academic excellence is really what drew me to that school. And if you, um, and, and there's actually two, um, Catholic schools that, that are known for academic excellence in the same school district area as our public school that we go to. But, um, and they both, you know, any students that come out of these schools, you know that they're going to be top, top of the line, you know, in, in their academic abilities, just because of the, the rigor and the, you know, just the, the curriculum that they use. It's, it's just, it's really good. The teachers are really dedicated. A lot of them are veteran teachers that retired and came back to teach at this private school. Um, so, you know, it, it, that was that was just really a good draw. And, and of course, it's it's part of it is convenience, too. It's, you know, in the same community. We don't have to go very far and, and change a lot of our routine um, around taking them somewhere else or anything. Homeschooling was not going to be an option. I still have to work. And we are going to have to make some sacrifices to be able to afford private school, but it's the sacrifice that's worth making. It's, it's my children's future. It sounds delightful. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited. We're excited about it. The kids are even excited. So, Well, on that note, any, any advice that you have for anybody who's listening to this? Again, other parents who are experiencing the same thing, um, other students who are experiencing the same thing, other teachers who are experiencing the same thing, anything that you'd like to, to offer up to them? Well, um, I do want to say I am concerned that there's going to, once I leave, things are going to go silent. There's going to be radio silence. That concerns me for the school. I care so much about our community and those kids. And if there's nobody there to speak up for them, it's just, it's going to, it's going to get really bad. It's going to get really, really bad. So my advice would be if you, if you're worried about retaliation on your students, don't be stand, talk to your kids, tell them what's going on, tell them this is wrong. And I have to take a stand and this might happen to you, but I am going to be there to support you 100%. If somebody tries to retaliate in a teacher and they shouldn't, if they're professionals, they should not. And if they do, you have every right to take legal action, (laughs) but stand up, stand up and say something because these are your kids. They only get one shot at their education and you, it's going to take so much to fix all of this damage. It will have generational impacts. I'm talking for generations to come. This will impact your children and their children. There's, there is no room for playing it safe and, and being socially acceptable. You have to take a stand. If you care about your kids, you have to take a stand. I want to take a few minutes here and just thank Vanessa Hurst for her work in her community and what she's been doing in in her town with 
this school district and her and her children's school. If other vigilant American parents continued to do this all over the place, these criminal organizations that are K-12 school districts, in particular, I might add, the ones that are just like this one, where academic success and knowledge of subjects is not at the top of the list, in fact, far from it. If more citizens in an area got involved and knew what was going on in these school districts, again, where they're probably paying taxpayer do- their own taxpayer dollars to help fund them, then they would probably get involved and hopefully change things for the better. You would hope that that would be the case. And one of the things that we discussed throughout, and we, we sort of continued even after I was recording, is we were talking about the first time that Vanessa was on. The first time that she was on, she was blowing the lid wide open on all of this. And it's a sad state of affairs because what's happening in this district isn't new. It's happening all over the place, and it happens in lots of districts. The same is true, I should say, with successful districts. You can have a horrible school district right next door to a very successful school district, and the horrible school district doesn't even think for a moment to look over at the successful one and say, hey, wait a minute, they're successful. Maybe we should do what, what, what they're doing. For example, as you heard her mention, she's sending her children to two of her children to a, a private school where they focus on academic rigor and content knowledge, and that's the focus. It's not, we're going to love reading. It's, no, you're going to read. You're going to comprehend. You're going to write. That's what you're going to do. Everybody knows or should know that that is what makes a successful student. So why, why are some districts not just copying that model and just doing that and then keeping that there for as long as they're all alive? And it should tell everybody that these districts and the, and the employees who are pushing forth these, these heinous curriculum ideas are doing so for the purpose of control, purposeful mediocrity, and maintaining their employment. They aren't really there to be successful. And again, I know that that's hard for some people to grasp, where they would say, well, wait a minute, why wouldn't they want to be successful? Well, if their definition of success is mediocrity, then that's all you're going to get. If their definition of success is I have to do what I'm told from the people above me, even if they're dead wrong or I, even if I agree with them, well, then that's their definition of success. But that's not what success is. Schools should very easily measure success by what their students know or don't know. And she laid it out perfectly as to what students are learning and what they're not learning. And as they age, they're not just going to pick this factual information up as they go along. It has to be taught at a very young age. And here's the last point I'll mention. We discussed, too, about the impact of the first time that she was on And she described how even her own priest was impressed with the podcast episode where where she was describing what was going on in the school district. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of downloads of that particular podcast episode. And that right there should be fuel to anybody who is listening to a story like this, and they're saying to themselves, well, I, I don't think that we can control what's going on, or how do, we, how, how do we get our arms around 
this horrible situation and, and make it better. And again, as we discussed, it's possible and you can do it. Three out of the four board members in this particular school district ran unopposed. Each one of them received roughly 1,200 plus votes. And in the other uh, school board race, one of the individuals only lost or and the other person won by 50 some odd votes. This is public information. If you if you just do a simple internet search on, on some of these things, and, and you're looking at a school district and you're saying to yourself, well, this school district isn't doing what they need to be doing. Well, look at who's voting for them, how many votes are they getting, and is anybody voting against them? Because Vanessa Hurst has, uh, like countless people do in America, they have access to churches. So simply asking a priest even, hey, do you mind if I talk to the congregation for 10 minutes and describe what's going on in this school district? That right there will wake up a ton of people. You're bringing it up in an environment where they feel comfortable, and you're bringing up something that's very, very serious, which is usually, again, a church, which is also where very serious subjects are brought up on a regular basis. So if you're interested in recruiting future school board members, that right there seems like a great place to do it. And it's certainly a great place to try. Again, it's not something that I've ever done personally, but goodness gracious, if we aren't taking back these school boards and these school districts and snatching it away from these horrible people and these horrible programs that they're implementing, then then we're lost. And it's not just your own children that are going to suffer. It's the, enti- it's, it's the children in, in the entire area that are going to suffer. And as she said, they're going to suffer for generations to come. But there are solutions, and those solutions usually involve communication. So again, if you're a church-going individual, speak with the individuals that run that church. Talk with them about what's going on. Ask them if you can, if you can speak to the congregation for a few minutes and, and let them know what's actually happening and how heinous it is. And again, I, I think that a simple communication like that might wake up a whole lot of people. Because normally... You give a talk like that, almost instantly you're going to have people coming up to you afterwards and asking you more questions. And that right there starts a serious dialogue on turning things around in a positive direction. Because again, this school district is right next to, and and this school is right next to an excellent private school apparently that is doing everything correctly, in particular from an academic standpoint. And that right there should tell you that the answer is not that far away. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.